Hi there, I'm John Kearns. Who is this guy? <laughs> well, you're just gonna have to listen to find out. Um, I've got a, I've got a website. Yeah, yeah, I've got a website. Um, the WordPress blog doesn't work at the moment, so I haven't updated that since March. But the live gigs, <laughs> you can have a good look at them. Uh, it's called thatjohnkearns.co.uk. Someone had taken the com. And uh, my Twitter is at John's Fur Coat. Get that. This is an interview with me and Sarah Shulman from Comedy Bloggerty. Uh, so, yeah, I, I hope you enjoy it. I, I had fun doing it. So, John, how did you get into comedy? <laughs> uh, can I just say, I could just, can I just say that I listened to your podcast and. Uh, you always start with that question. And so I, did, I didn't realise, I thought there'd be some preamble, but you literally press record and then you say it. Um, <laughs> uh, I knew it was coming as well. I did actually know you were going to ask me that. Uh, I, I, was, uh, I, was, I was brought up on comedy, Sarah. I was brought up on it. And, um, yeah, I just remember, I, I remember, uh, like my dad, like my mum would go out and my dad would be watching like something at like nine, nine o'clock and I knew I had to be in bed, but I remember being like, well, if I sit really still, he's not going to recognise that I'm still here, <laughs> even though I'm sitting next to him. And it'd be there'd be something like men behaving badly or something, or you know, something, something I shouldn't have been watching. But um, you know, I, I'd, I'd be sat there and I'd be laughing my head off, but I'd, I'd have to hold it in because I didn't want him to know I was there, even though he knows I'm there. <laughs> he just can't be bothered to put me to bed. And then I'd hear my mum pull up in the car outside and I'd leg it upstairs and then, like, um, I don't know. Like, you know, growing up, he'd have, like, there'd be, like, a Frank Skinner video in in, in the uh, in the cupboard and, like, when everyone was out, I'd, I'd pop it in and watch it and hear him talking about <laughs> all sorts of stuff. So it was quite, uh, you know, it was always... I was just brought up with it, really. And, you know, it was... Uh, it just went from there. You just made people laugh at school and then you wrote stuff and performed it in like drama classes and all this stuff and then it just snowballs. So when did you decide that you wanted to do stand-up? From the age of about 14, 15, I, I knew that's, I really wanted to try it. Um, I didn't, I didn't do it till I went to university. Um, I mean, you you don't really know what it is. You don't, you don't think it's a, living <laughs> it's not a living now to be honest I don't know how I'm going to make a living out of it but you don't think it's uh, I don't know I, I, I grew up with it I knew it existed and so I always I remember Stephen Merchant in, in an interview he said he grew up and he he, he said uh, that he never thought he couldn't be like a comedian or be one of those people on telly he just thought, well, yeah, that's what I want to do, which is uh, a lovely thing to be able to think. 
Um, I don't know. I just I knew that I'd do it at uni, and then you know within three months, I was doing a gig, and then it just went from there really. But I I always knew that that's what I wanted to do because I I did drama at school and I was always an absolute idiot. <laughs> so um, yeah, that, that, yeah, I just. So what was your first stand-up gig like? Uh, I'm eating some nuts. <laughs> um, my first stand-up gig, I had, well, I kind of had, the first time I ever stood on stage and did stand-up, uh, I went to uni with a man called Pat Cahill. And he uh, he had to fill... I think fifteen minutes or twenty minutes at this gig at uni, and he'd only ever done. I think he'd only ever done ten. So he said, "Will you do five? <laughs> and uh, it was at this uh, I don't know some charity thing. And it went it went quite well. I remember there was this uh, girl. Who was a, a flatmate of my then girlfriend, and she was there, and she went, "Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I really liked it. I think um, I think you're going to be one of these people that people uh, either really hate or really like." And I liked it, so I was like, "Well, that's good. That's really good." Thinking about it now, that's that's kind of what you want. Um. <laughs> and uh, and then I had another gig. So after that was my first gig, kind of standing up on stage ever. And then I I I went to uni with a girl called Flo, who books gigs, and uh, she ran this gig in London. And it was uh, for Off the Curb. And so she gave me uh, a spot. <laughs> And I was 19, just turned 19, and uh, Russell Brown was headlining. And I think it was Nick Mohammed, Rob Rouse, Jared Christmas was uh, was emceeing. <laughs> there was about 200 people in the audience. Oh my goodness me. I just, I, just, I mean, it was horrific. I Jared Christmas, I kind of looked a bit like Jared Christmas. I had a quiff and glasses, and he was emceeing, and he he brings me on, and I thought it'd be funny to say, uh, thanks, Dad, but I didn't say it into the microphone, I just said it walking on stage, so I then get to the mic thinking everyone's heard it, expecting the laugh, and everyone's looking at me like, why isn't he saying anything, <laughs> and then I said, um, I nicked a joke from... Um, the comedian Stephen Wright, <laughs> and because uh, I thought, well, you know what? I don't know if all my stuff works, so I'll just say one that I think works. <laughs> and then uh, I'll do my stuff. His joke didn't work, <laughs> which is his fault. And uh, then I proceeded to horrifically bomb. 
for about 15 minutes. They were flashing the red light at me. I honestly, I'd never been to a comedy club. I had no idea what that meant. I was looking at it like, I wish that guy would turn it off. It's doing my head, uh, just awful, really bad. But you know, I met Russell Brand. <laughs> so that was exciting. And then uh, she only booked me for that gig two months ago. So it took me six years to get another gig there. But um, perseverance. <laughs> so how often did you start gigging after your first gig? Um, well, Sarah, there was a gig run there by a man called Tom. And uh, then Pat started a night. And uh, I just... Uh, was basically there it was it was like every couple of months or so i don't know but it was it was like once a month it was it was like four or five times a year basically and then uh when i graduated it was then kind of every every couple of weeks or i can't gig these people that gig every night that that i mean that double up what the, what are you do? I, I have no idea where they get the drive to do that. I just, I just think it's absolutely nuts. You've got to pay me a lot of money for me to gig every night. Because it's just, I, I, where's your life? I want to, I want to meet some mates. Three times a week. Do three good gigs a week. Max. If it, if, if there's, you know... If there's like, uh, you know, if there's something important, you gotta go. You gotta turn up to one. There's people there. You're just like, all right, okay. But I need to have a bit of a life until I start, you know, seeing some financial rewards, artistic rewards. They can really <laughs> three times a week is fine for me. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I'm a man. I've got places to be. <laughs> I, I've got things to do. I love comedy. It it has taken up a lot of my life. But when it takes up all of my life, I'm angry. I'm upset. I don't like being alone. And I blame it all on comedy. So three times a week. And if I'm doing four, I am a busy boy. And everyone hears about it. <laughs> I'm, I just doubling up. I got to go on early. I've got another gig. I mean, what are you just? Oh my god! I just, I can't stand it. I just think, what are you doing? Why don't you just have really one good one? Or if you bomb, then just you know, why don't you sit in that mess and realize what you've done? Don't run off somewhere and try and forget about it by having another good gig. Go home and stew in it and realise that it wasn't the audience. It was maybe your rubbish joke. That worked better at the later one because they've had more to drink. Dear me, never double up. Honestly, I tell when people, you know, when you meet new people and they're like, oh, what you? I tell them, don't just chill out. Why are you rushing? Like, running around, got to make it. Oh, I've gigged six times this week. 
You sound like the most boring person on the planet. I'm sorry for you. I really am sorry. What do, I I want to go... I'm going to Bodine's next Friday. Barbecue. Food. Drinks. <laughs> Friends. Normal. Normal. I've got, a, I've got a date. I've got to fit in a date. Great. Looking forward to that. There's a bloody gig in the way. I hate it. It's just like... <laughs> I just It's in the way. These previews. These Edinburgh previews. It's like, why did I book that? God's sake. you got to get people down. Oh, you got to invite people. You don't even want them to come. You meet old friends. They're like, oh, well, we haven't seen you for years. Oh, my God. And you're just like, oh, God. I had an old school friend, like, he poked his head around the door. I had a preview. He poked his head around the door. And he's like, he gave me this look of, it's me. And I was like, oh, why are you just, oh, yeah, it's you, man. Haven't seen you for six years. And he, they, they, and then when that happens, they they act like, you know, it's all about them then. And you're just like, well, I'm, yeah. Oh, dear me. So, yeah, my first gig was, um. There was nothing but a bona fide success. Well, speaking of doubling up, one of the great things about the London comedy scene is that there are so many gigs uh, to go to and to perform at and to watch. So how did you find that the London comedy scene compared and what was your impression of it when you moved down from Norwich after university? How, how did the scene compare to Norwich? <laughs> <laughs> well, funnily enough, you know, Norwich didn't have any comedy clubs when... Uh, <laughs> when well, I, I, they had red card comedy in a tent somewhere. I don't know. In the, I don't have no idea. I remember there's a, there was a bloke called. Uh, he, he's he's still going. Uh, Dan McKee. And I remember, he he kind of ran he ran a great gig actually called Salt Box Comedy, but he, uh, <laughs> his selling point was uh, that it was. The only comedy club in Norwich is historic walls because there's a big wall that goes around Norwich, and so most of like the town is outside it. But he sold it by saying his was the only one historically inside the city walls. So that you know that's what you were dealing with in Norwich, <laughs> like territories. Um, no, the London. Well, I mean, it's it's like anything. London is is a is a monster. It's just it's hundreds of gigs, and it is. I mean, again though, people. I've never turned up to a gig to try stuff out. <laughs> I've never like God. Oh, I need to try out this joke. I'll go there tonight. I've never, I've never done that. I book a gig, and then I get ready for it. Um, so I, I presume if you're someone that likes to just turn up, try, try, I got, I got some five, five minutes of material I gotta try. There's lo there's loads of places you can do that. Um, but I, I just prefer to maybe work on it at home and then book a good gig and do it there. Um, and then if, you know, there's, there's, lo there's loads, there's, there's awful ones, but they can turn out to be really good. That's that's where you meet friends and stuff, you know? That's where you you bond with people. Right? 
some of the best gigs of your of your life. Maybe not <laughs> people laughing, but you know the most memorable gigs. That's that's a distinction I I need to clarify in my head. The difference between best and memorable. <laughs> that's a problem I have. Oh, that was a great gig. Oh God, that's one of my best gigs. <laughs> it was memorable. Um. Yeah, I mean it. it it's 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 a it's the best place in the world to to do comedy. I I don't know many people that have, I guess the other place would be New York or. And I've I've spoken to some people that have gone out there, and uh, I mean they've loved it. But you would love it, wouldn't you? If you if you go out there for two weeks. I mean, you, of course you'd love it, because there's a nostalgia to it. You know, they. I mean, that, that's that's the one thing that I I, w- I wish would be. We've got such a rich heritage of comedy in this country, but, you know, in like in New York. You know, I you know you listen to WTF podcasts and you watch like, Louis and he's walking down, the stairs at Caroline's, or you you see the Seinfeld, film and he's they're all sitting around in booths, you know eating and surrounded by pictures of old school entertainers like I mean there's a that's great that's that's so that's great I I love that stuff and there, there is I don't know I mean the, the, I remember going to the bed I, I you know I, I I grew up in Tooting so you know the Bedford he's got you know pictures of stand-ups on the wall and stuff <laughs> you just it's just quite sad. I don't know. I feel sad for them. I mean, some of them are the biggest names in comedy. But you just look at it and you're like, no, I don't, I don't, know. I don't want to be on the wall of, of the Bedford. No, oh, I don't want to be on the stairs. Of the Bedford. I don't want it. I want to be on the uh, wall of, like the improv, or the comedy store. In America as well. The comedy store in the UK. Is, it's sad. That place used to be a strip joint. The guy used to sell tits. And then he f- saw comedy was good. So he just. You see this pit. Like he, I saw he put, up, he put up a picture once of this queue of people. This mass sea of people going into the comedy store. And it's like a picture from outside the door. And everyone's cramming in. And he's just like well what happened to. God. It's just so, it's sad. It's a, I just feel very sad walking around these, these, because there's no history. There's no, they don't, there's no, they don't, it's not preserved. It's it's like, a, it's like historic. Whereas in America, it seems that there is a tradition that carries on. I'm talking purely from a outsider's point of view here. Like, I'm looking through a window, going, what's, what's going on? What's going on through there? I don't know. I might be completely wrong, but... Yeah, this, it's, it's it's an alright scene. You just, you make of it what you make of it, you know? Um, you can't you can't rely on it, but... it's It's been good to me. So, in the six years that you've been gigging, how do you feel that your style has changed over those years? Mm, uh, it's the style has massively changed. Um, 
the thought. <laughs> the thoughts haven't. <laughs> it's uh, people. It's all about people say it's all about finding your your voice, but uh, I think there's a difference between that and also putting on a voice. You know, I think I've always had my my voice. I just didn't know how to. I didn't know how it sounded. You know, I don't know if it, you know, I don't know if it's how it is now. It might change next year. Why not? <laughs> but no, like you know, you start off like when I first started. You know, I I started off. Everything was scripted. I always wore my jacket on stage. I never took it off. I no idea why. Just never took my jacket off. I had this long coat that I wore. Uh, deadpan, really like one-liners, things like that. Didn't realise why they were funny or why why uh, why they went wrong. Um, and then, but I always had this kind of weird urge to to sing and go into the audience. And I used to play spin the bottle and just sing at whoever it landed on. I mean, pretty, it pretty it sounds horrific saying that now. If I, the thing, I think about it, like, if I was this guy just going to see some comedy, and I saw me when I was, like, 21, I'd just be like this guy. I'd beat him up. I'd wait for him outside. I'd be like, hey, uh, I really like your set. Oh, cheers, man. Bang. In the car. I'd torture him. Just for annoying me. <laughs> He's, um, just loads of, just lots of bad jokes. Lots of really long, drawn-out stories. Props, copying people, trying to write in people's styles, you know, listening to comedy albums and trying to work out what what the hell they do that I I need to do, you know, because when you're starting out, you're like, right, they've made it, so what do they do? And then you read all the advice, you know, I was obsessed with advice, I'd be like, Reading interviews, so many people's interviews, reading biographies, just trying to work out what it is, what you know, what was it? And uh, there's no, there's no good advice. Advice is absolutely useless because you only find out by doing it, and it will just come. So I, I have no idea if 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 it has yet with me. Uh, I mean, I've got better. <laughs> I, you know, perseverance. You got to keep going. Um, but yeah, and that, huge changes in in style. But like I said, my thought. Uh, I don't think it's changed since I was. You know, <laughs> I was gonna say sixteen, and then I was like, well, hang on, does that mean I was? A, I was a very deep thinking sixteen year old though. I wasn't. What what I'm saying is, I I I look back at when I was sixteen, seventeen, and I'm like, yeah, I, I completely rate with that guy. So yeah, no 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 change in thought, but style. Oh, it's been all over the shop. Still is. So how do you go about writing your material? Um, 
well like what, what like we were talking about earlier when i started i honestly used to uh script what i said and i honestly would put in brackets the word beat and put in italics i just i you know i that's what i did <laughs> it sounds crazy to say that now but um yeah that that's how i wrote now it's it's the best thing about that when i did that think about how much time i had you know i was at uni think about how much time i had <laughs> brackets beat wait for the laugh wait for the laugh wait for the laugh they'll probably laugh a bit more at that john and go again you know too much time this kid has too much time when when i've got kids i know exactly how much time kids have i'm going to be like what i'm going to absolutely make sure they are very busy people because i know that i don't want them i don't want them doing what i did writing out comedy <laughs> they um but now so now i'm that's the good thing so being grown up's great cuz you just got no time i don't have any time to write material i don't have any time so if i come up with an idea or if i hear somebody at work say something really funny like there was, there's a woman for example uh she's a tour guide where i where i work and she she was talking about her holiday home in spain and she uh she was talking about her neighbor and she was like he's a lovely man lovely man david i call him david he listens so i was like well that's clearly that's brilliant that's extraordinary so i wrote it down on my phone and then i just uh on the train and stuff just thought well, imagine you thought like that cuz this it's so there's so much bubbling away there it's so it's so it's so it, it was it would not imagine if you were that neighbor and you see her come for holiday and you're like it's that woman again hello david and you're like she knows my name is not david but there's this i i love neighbors i love talking about neighbors uh, in comedy because it's i just find it i just i love the the social etiquette of neighbors how you're very polite to them outside and then inside it's it's you know there's so much and then you hear snippets of what goes on in their lives and you know the layout of their house <laughs> i just i find it so funny so like that for example i was like well imagine you you live next door to a spanish guy and you hated him is it because he's spanish you know i don't know there's something going on with her there but i just so i just built up a thing around that you know uh, and then you write stuff on your phone, you flesh it out, usually on stage. But yeah, I I, I write, you know, and again, you know, I write in shorthand as well. I can't type up stuff anymore. I, I think there's a real, well, no, the, I honestly think like, like there they, they used to be this like theory of like, uh, uh, was it, um, like Dickens wrote longhand and because of the way that he wrote, you know, it was it was um, it was with ink, and and 
so he wrote very they say that it it influenced his style long sentences you know big old paragraphs that you know like you know. <laughs> i'm explaining a book you know pages writing from left to right left to right dotting the i's crossing the t's <laughs> no but like but no like um so hemingway wrote with a typewriter yeah and his 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 uh his his writing is very staccato it's like bah, bah, bah. so people are like well that's kind of like how you write at a typewriter so um i write uh hanging upside down <laughs> covered in uh pork i don't know i don't know I just you just write it down don't you you just write it down you think of something funny you write it down you say it that's how, that's how you write. There's no... Oh, there was this other guy. He wrote... He built his house. His name's like Ubu something. <laughs> you see, I'm very intelligent, but I'm trapped in this stupid... This stupid man's body. This idiot. Yeah, I'm so... I'm so trapped. I read things and I'm like, God, that's great. I remember that. And then when I have to, nothing. Absolutely nothing going on in my brain. Well, no, it's all going on in my brain. You know, I was talking about the idea of voice. I'm an, in <laughs> I'm an intelligent man. What's that film where he's... See, I don't remember anything. I just remember... I know that stuff exists. But I just constantly walk around. What's that thing? I, I know that. You know the guy who blinked? In his head, he's in his head. He's he's like he's he can't move, but he blinks, talking to you. Butterfly. See, I remember words like butterfly. Yep, I'm like that guy, but I've got everything accessible to me. Where, where's my film? <laughs> Hi, I'm like the diving bell with the butterfly. What is it? I'm like the diving bell and the butterfly. But listen to this. He was physically impaired. He had to talk through blinking. Listen to this story. There's a man trapped in his body, but his body works 100%. <laughs> um, this guy, Ubu, right? He had this house. He honestly, three floors. Top floor, he wrote uh, <laughs> on, on the typewriter. No, hang on. On the top floor, he wrote longhand, yeah? On the middle floor, he used the typewriter. And on the third floor, he, uh, I think he used <laughs> I think he used the laptop. <laughs> you know what? I don't know what I'm talking about. He, he, had, he built a house where, <laughs> I don't know. The answer to your question, right? You write it. Yeah, yeah. Look at it. You learn that a little bit, and then you perform it. That's comedy. That's comedy, guys. So you work at the Houses of Parliament. Yeah. Apart from influencing your material, do you find that being in such a historic building, as opposed to the Comedy Store in London, has had an effect on your comedy? Um, I don't. I uh, I I, I keep them very separate. 
like you know, if I'm sitting in my staff room, I mean that it's it's you know quite extraordinary the kind of stuff. If people actually knew how much stuff I nicked uh, from listening to people, they'd be like, "John, do you actually write anything? Like, do you actually just sit?" Like, <laughs> it's extraordinary. It's just incredible. You know, obviously, I'd I'd like to not have to get up at seven every morning and <laughs> go to work for. Obviously, I'd like to do comedy full time, but there's this what like I stand in a medieval hall for most of my day. It was built nearly a thousand years ago. What's quite nice is if you have a bad gig or if you get a weird email or if you get some kind of weird rejection in comedy and you just it's not my life because I'm standing in this hall. It's been there for nearly a thousand years. And it's like, well, it gives perspective, you know? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm standing where William the Conqueror's son, uh, you know, built a room. That agent not getting back to me, whatever. Honestly, it's like you walk around, you're like, nothing matters. Because you also see how politics, nothing matters in politics. It's all the same stuff. It's just different people saying it, you know? So you just, it's, you just see it all. It's just all water going over you. You're just like, it's, it's, all, it's all nonsense. Uh, and so, you know, when I'm, when I'm at work, th- those moments of nonsense are really heightened. Because if I've, you know, been walking around in a dress the night before at a comedy gig and then... A few hours later, I'm standing talking to six-year-olds about, you know, who Ed Miliband is. You know, I then turn around to walk them into another room, and I just mutter to myself, like, this is ridiculous. I, what? How have you ended up here? So it 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 hasn't influenced me at all in, in like, content. I don't talk about work. I don't talk about uh, politics or anything like that. Um, for I, I meet people that, if you just work in comedy, you'll never meet. You know what I mean? If you just... If you... If, I, I meet the maddest people. Like, the tour guides are insane. If I... You know... I've got a few ideas for sitcoms or stuff like that. Tour guides. Just, they are nuts. They, they are mad. So, I, mean, I meet these people on a day-to-day basis. And I just sit there and write stuff down. And they just come out with the weirdest brilliant stuff and then if I've got a gig that night try try it out and usually honestly it has a very high success rate because there's just something so the audience can tell it's real you know it, it's because it's just so mad it's uh yeah I I, I want to quit <laughs> well as you mentioned sometimes you are in a dress or with your Edinburgh show this year, do you want a nut? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I uh, I reached for some cashew nuts that I bought, and then I thought, oh, hang on, Sarah probably doesn't want me to do that. But uh, she's broken the fourth wall, guys. Is this guy? <laughs> I like. Who do I like? Who do, whose interviews do I like? Um. I listen. I listen to the first question. It's got. It's your thing now. 
It's funny. But, um, you know, it's, uh, Have you got any other feedback on my podcast? Um, I like SoundCloud. I like being able to see the waves. You know, the freak. <laughs> Nothing of the actual content of my podcast. <laughs> 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 oh, God. Do you like my podcast? I like, I, I like how the play button's really big. I like how you can uh, really uh, hover over that play button. You can pause it whenever you want. Love it. Um, no, I, I, I. Do you know um? What's oh? I get, look, here we go. Here we go again. <laughs> here we go again. I. <laughs> I've got a story, but I can't remember his name now. What the hell is this guy's name? Oh, God. God almighty. Oh. <laughs> it's like learn with mother. But there's no mother. It's just me in a room. And there's no learning. There's no learning. It's guess, guess with son. Guess with man. That's what this show is. Guess with a man. <laughs> this man... Can't remember something. You guess what it is? Here's your clues. Uh, I, there's, oh, God, what was that guy's name? So, what? Phone in. Uh, uh, I was going to, there was a, there's a, uh, who's the guy who wrote Freaks and Geeks? Anyway, he, he interviewed a lot of famous comedians. And comedians just starting out that are now massive. Um, so, yeah, podcasts reminds me of that. Thank you, John. And what did you think of the software that they used to listen to Freaks and Geeks? That was on WTF, iTunes. I prefer SoundCloud to iTunes, honestly. I like seeing the frequency waves. I'm not even joking. Because, you know, when you see a big wah goes up, like, I, I was kind of saying, what happened there? No. So, like, You know what I mean? That on the frequency waves for SoundCloud is going to be amazing. If someone tunes in, they'll be like, what the hell happened there? I've got to listen to this episode. So, yeah. iTunes need to butt their ideas up. Um, Did you ask me a question? I was going to ask you a question, and then you wanted to eat some nuts. Yes, I did. I said eating nuts. Yep. So, you were saying before that you sometimes perform in a dress and also with your Edinburgh show this year you have uh, a wig and false teeth mm. and there's an image to it mm. and as you were saying earlier that as your your girlfriend's flatmate then said girlfriend, your then girlfriend then girlfriend <laughs> then <laughs> then girlfriend that but then then <laughs> friend then, back then. Back then. That you're an act that you're either going to love or hate. Mm. And that there have been several gigs where you've broken that fourth wall and addressed audience members about the way that they are interacting with your set. For example, the Leicester Square Theatre gig. Oh, yeah. So did that confidence 
to address audience members and articulate respect for performers and that you might just be sitting in the audience but yeah I can see you and everything that comes with that did that just come naturally or was there a point when you thought actually I'm going to address my audience as individuals and make sure that they feel part of it as some form of community rather than just letting them get away with it um that's a good question so I'm thinking about it um Oh, I've I've always I've always always again it was it was that thing I was talking about earlier about advice like you're always looking up advice and sometimes it, you hear people I remember actually you don't hear about it yeah you don't hear it now but like people would be like not ignore the audience but if it's going badly don't address it there is a school of thought in, on that if it's going badly just keep going but I can't I can't. I never have been able to ever. Yeah, you know, even at uni there were some gigs which just went horrifically wrong because I uh, I would I would address something in the room like I think for for an hour show or even for the twenty minutes you're on stage, even for the five minutes you're on stage, it it has to be. At, you know, you've got to be as one with the audience. You know, there can't be any if someone's gonna do anything throughout your set, then it has to be addressed. Obviously, you want to do what you've prepared. Obviously. But if they're not going to let you do it, well, then they're going to get something else. And then for the crowd that do let you do it, they're going to have a great time, you know? I, I just don't have any time for that kind of audience. So, like, recently, with, you know, wearing this stupid stuff that I do, like the wig and, and like these false teeth, which, by the way, people try and read a lot into that kind of stuff. They're like, what does it all mean? It it doesn't mean anything. Like, you know when you were growing up, and I don't know, but like my dad would, if he had a wig, just put on a bald wig. But it, you just, it, it's so funny. Because it's your dad. Just that he's wearing a wig. He just looks stupid. It's just ridiculous. And like he puts on a voice or something. <laughs> Just it's just silly, you know. It's not a character. It's somebody you know, mucking around, and that you know, like if you like Morecambe and Wise and stuff and things like that. You don't remember any characters that they play. You remember Morecambe and Wise mucking around, you know. So that's all it is. It's just me, just being really silly. And that's why it's that's why you know the teeth sometimes fall out. The wig doesn't have to be particularly on perfectly. It's very ugly because it it, it, it doesn't matter that it, people think oh that was actually his hair. Like it's clearly a wig. It's clearly a disguise. It's clearly a silly, stupid thing. It's a man who's put something on and just walked on stage and has started saying silly stuff and just being funny. That's all it is. So, to go back to your question, if it's freed me up in that I'm like, oh, it's clearly silly. So, if you're not enjoying it, then I can't help you. And also, I do question why you don't find it funny. There's an innate confidence, like that it gives me I guess because it's a mask of some kind but 
I now believe that I, with confidence, I'm going to be funny on stage. Whereas before, maybe not, because I was worried about the material. The material was all I had if I, um, when I wasn't wearing this kind of stuff. But now, the material is secondary. I'm I'm kind of being myself a bit more. Um, so what I'd be interested to do is do a gig where I don't have to, to wear that stuff anymore and see how that's maybe changed me. So after Edinburgh, after I've done this show, um, I'm going to see if I uh, go back to being me, you know. I am me on stage, but as in not having to wear this stuff. But it's funny. It's 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 making me laugh, so I'll carry on doing what I enjoy doing, you know. So, when the audience aren't enjoying it, that's where it's funny to to pick up on it. Um but yeah, I mean I'm having fun up there. So and your Edinburgh show this year is called Sight Gags for Perverts. So what can audiences expect from your show? Um, well, it, it's, it's called... I was, I was originally... The reason why I called it that is I originally, uh, over November, December time, I was going to do an hour in Leicester. And I was like, right, what am I going to do one about? And there was this whole... I, I really wanted to do... I kind of got obsessed with um, Doctor Strangelove. And so I was like, right, it seems very apt now because at that, at that time, I did, do you remember North Korea started going all <laughs> crazy again? I was like, this, I was like, this, I was like, it could be. I, I, th- I thought it was really funny. I, I kind of wanted to do a show about a guy who knew an atomic bomb was going to land on him, on him. Like it wouldn't affect anyone else. It was going to land on him, and he had about two days to uh, get on with his life and obviously when people go oh if you had two days what would you do and they're just like oh I just I just go crazy I just go create you know like if you had two days to, to, to live what would you do but I thought it'd be really funny if there's this guy who just gets really annoyed that he can't like fit all his clothes in the wash do you know what I mean like he's gonna wash all his clothes you know so all the mundanity of life because I was also you know um Raymond Briggs, uh, Br- <laughs> see again, there we go, Raymond Briggs, he did The Snowman, he wrote a book called When the Wind Blows, about this couple who are getting ready for the apocalypse, and it's just all about them, you know, tying in their house and stuff, so I basically was going to do that, <laughs> and uh, I was reading stuff about Kubrick and Doctor Strangelove, and I found this list of uh, it was called Titles in Search of a Script, and the review uh, for Doctor Strangelove was Sight Gags for Perverts. They slated it, saying it was awful, awful film, Sight Gags for Perverts. And he wrote that down because he thought that was really funny, and he wanted to make a film called that, but he never wrote anything. So I always, so I thought that I thought I'd do that, <laughs> and um, I never wrote that. Uh, I never wrote that that part that that show. Because, turns out, I don't know anything about atomic bombs. And uh, I thought, well, if I'm going to do something like that, I want it to be really detailed and nice. And I just didn't have the time. So I thought, well, what shall I write about? And and lo and behold, Sarah, I know a lot about me. So I wrote a show uh, about uh, about me. 
uh, it's about, um, well, this is the thing, it's, 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 most of the stuff I say now on stage is true, but what's weird, I guess, is that it's not like I'm sitting with you now, it's me wearing this weird shit, and I come on wearing an inflatable horse, and that's deflated, it's not inflated, obviously, why would it? Again, that came out of, I bought it to inflate, because it looks so funny on Amazon, it's hilarious, my god, it looks so funny. And I was doing a show for kids, and I went backstage, and I was like, I, I obviously didn't set it up at home. I thought it'd be easy. I, it's the most. Di- have you tried to inflate a horse? <laughs> didn't happen. I was like, this isn't going to inflate. I was, the fan broke. I needed a screwdriver. So in the end, I thought I'm going to have to walk on with this, just not inflated. And I had a, I nearly had a breakdown, but it turned out to look quite funny. So it, I threw away the fan. I've just and it's great because it means, you know, don't have to worry about it. Um. So yeah, there's some stuff. There's stuff like that. It's all. It's all. It's all. It's strange. It, there's a lot of stuff in the show that that I that is, is very true and very personal. Um. Like I had some friends come and see it uh, a couple of days ago, and I hadn't thought that they actually know that I've went through most of what I talk about so um, it's not dark or anything it's just me being lonely it's hardly a <laughs> it's hardly it's hardly a uh, you know an important story to tell but it's 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 funny I, I, I honestly think the show is funny you know how some people go well you know that's my show and I hope you like it I hope you like the show I, you know I, you should like the show it's a good show. I worked hard on it, and it's funny. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm proud of it. And you've performed at Edinburgh for several years, including the Lunchtime Club, Dinner Party, which was with Pat Cahill, and last year you were part of the Peasants Reserve. So what's been your experience of the Edinburgh Festival? Um, well, it's, it's obviously an, an incredible place uh, during the festival. It's It's... It's obviously the highlight of of your year. The the best thing I'd heard about Edinburgh is that it is still a month of your life, though, you know. And in any month of your life, you'll have ups, downs, good days, bad days, something might happen. You'll get a phone call, a text. Uh, You know, it's it's, it's another month of your life. So you can't go up there thinking you're going to have a great time. Um... You know, if you have a good time, then wow, good, you know, amazing. That that might be one of the only times of your life you have a great month. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's kind of you gotta you gotta go up there thinking, I j- you just have to live your life like normal. So you know, for example, I go, I leave on the twenty sixth. I'm back at work on the twenty seventh. You know, I'm gonna be, <laughs> I'm gonna be absolutely exhausted, but that you know, the, it all goes on. It not nothing. It doesn't stop. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I, this, this is the first time I'll be doing everything on my own. Like everything that you mentioned there was showcases with other people. And, and that was great because, um, you're a gang, aren't you? You, if you have a bad night, everyone's had a bad night. Um, on the other hand, you've got to compromise. You are relying on other people. They're relying on you. Sometimes you might not have a good gig. Sometimes they might not have a good gig. 
they're your friends, you know, you don't, you don't, I, I, I've never fallen out with anyone, uh, but it, it's difficult, you know, because what if someone has a really good gig and you don't, um, I remember with, with, with dinner party, like, I, I'm all about the gist, I like gists, I, I, you know, whereas Pat, for example, he, he, he learns his stuff, like, he knows exactly what he's doing, I have a rough idea of what I'm going to do, so the beginning was, the, the dinner party was me, for about 15 minutes, and I remember it really annoyed Pat, because I'd never really scripted that bit, I was like, I know what I'm doing, mate, yeah, yeah. And so there were times when, for his entrance, it, it would be different every time he came out, the audience reaction to him, because I'd set it up, not differently, but I'd, I'd worked it around the room. So when he came out, the idea was that uh, I, I was surprised to see him, and he was half naked as well with a cone on his head. Sometimes everyone would laugh, sometimes people would be like, why is he half naked? And other times people be like, uh-oh, we weren't expecting this guy, and neither was John. You know, every day was different. So I knew that annoyed him slightly. He was relying on me to set it up. And it was, again, the same with like the Pleasants and, and Lunchtime Club. You know, when I emceed, uh, sometimes it went extremely well. Sometimes it was, you know, tough. But you got to bring people on. So, um... And also when I did sets, it might you know, sometimes it complete, especially at the Pleasance, because of the nature of people, you know, you, the people that go to that show. I remember being at the box office to get some comps, and there was this guy just standing next to me at the till, and he was like, what's on? And the girl at the till, because she works at the Pleasance, you know, they're told to sell the, our show. She's like, well, there's, you know, four up-and-coming comics. Uh, starts at half nine, it's for an hour. Uh, one of them's there, actually, and she pointed at me, and then this guy was like, uh, are you any good? And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah. And then he just went, I'll have one. <laughs> that that was your audience. People just rock it up. What do you mean it's sold out? Oh, we'll go, all right, we'll go to there. So it, sometimes I, I bombed terribly. It was such, it was a, it wasn't a tough month, it was a great month, but I had some great gigs, I had some rough gigs you know this year it's all down to me it's completely down to me and that control I'm looking forward to and uh, that's why Edinburgh's great because it's, it gives you that I'm doing the free fringe as well and I gotta say that if it wasn't for that I wouldn't be able to do Edinburgh this year so um it's yeah, it's it, it's the highlight of your year. You look back, going for me personally, it's like well, the, those were big high, highlights of, of my life going up to Edinburgh. You know, it's a very important place. So, what advice would you give to acts going to the Fringe, and for example, taking up a package show or something similar to what you've performed at? Um, well, they're tough. The 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 package shows are really hard because it's competition, isn't it? Everyone leaves saying, who was your favourite one? Who did you like the best? So, you got to remember that. You know, if you if you do really weird stuff, if you're a really weird comic, like you do surreal you know, nonsense, and the guy going on before you 
is you know, really mainstream, like observational. And they really go in for that. And then he slips in one bit of surreal stuff and they're like, what the hell? Chances are you, they're, they're, they're going to hate you. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's package shows, you got to think who's going to them as well, you know? They might know one person. Or they might just want a broad kind of, oh, we don't really know specifically. You know, if people are going to see Helm, for example, they chances are, well, obviously he gets people going that don't know what he does. But he's got his fans now. He's got people that know what Nick Helm does on stage. You know, they sit down going, right, here we go. It's going to be the Nick Helm experience. Package show, they don't know what they're getting. So... Try, I didn't do this actually, but you're not going to write a lot up there. I know that's from experience, I didn't write a lot up there. Um, it's, it is a good opportunity to just try out stuff. So if you can, try out something new every day. I mean, I did kind of, I did that maybe with some very small things, you know. But you will, you will come out of it a better comic. So... Get re- get ready for a tough month if you're in a package show. Then uh, <laughs> most of the people that have been in them find them tough. In December 2012, you performed the lead role of Peter in Weirdo's production of Hook, and you're also one of the staples of Weirdo's comedy. So, did you find that having that background of acting, because you studied at university, did that help in your performance? in Hook and also in general when performing comedy? Well, I... I I, uh, I think I was the only one who knew how to act in Hook. <laughs> <sighs> no one... I, I thoroughly enjoyed... No, hang on. What the hell am I on about? I... That was the most stressful thing I've ever done in my life. I was so stressed. Because I I have done plays and stuff. I have done acting. I think I can act. I think I'm okay. I'm quite good at acting, Sarah. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to sit here and lie. I'm a good actor. I could have gone to drama school. I did stand up. Get me some acting gigs. Stand up could go, you know, stand up, yeah, yeah, fine. Yep, love it. But I'm I don't want to be mid thirties touring around the country. No, sir. Get me acting. And then you want people to go, do your stand up again. It's like, okay. Ten nights in the same place. Eighty quid a ticket. I'm out of there. <laughs> no, um no, look, I was I, I was the only one who knew how to act in that show. Uh, you know, the, that, that weirdos group are absolutely insane. The basics. the No one had the basics. And the thing is, everyone found this funny. you got Joe Davies running around, laughing his head off. Tell, tell me to not be stressed. <laughs> you know, you're on, t- you're on stage for two hours. I was, I was on stage all the time. Carl... I mean, Carl's Carl. 
if he had a trailer, he'd just be, he'd have sat in that all the time, but then come out. It's just, I mean, it was just crazy. Tom Meek, you know what? Tom Meek was one of the best things in that show. He was awful at the beginning. Like I was like, this guy can't even. He 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 turned it around. He was extraordinary. Beth Vice, my God. Hang on, I need to. I, I am I am joking, but I need to actually be serious for a second. Beth's the better. Beth Beth's the best actor in that. She was extraordinary. Um. Yeah, she she's a great stand. She's amazing, Beth. Um. My point. It was just very stressful. It was crazy. Adam Lata sat down, watched Hook on DVD with a pen and paper and wrote it out. You know, the script was like, Pan flies. What? Question mark? I was like, well, that, is that the stage director direction, Adam? Yeah. So how am I going to fly? Oh, well, we don't know yet. It's on next week, Adam. <laughs> yeah. It was just, I was so stressed. But it turned out to be amazing. Uh, we raised... A lot of money for charity, and uh, I, 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 I was, I was at a gig with Adam recently, and he did mention that we might do another one, and I think that'd be fun. He did mention what it was, and uh, yeah, sounds. I mean, it, it's again, it just sounds ridiculous, but you know, it, 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 working with those people and also pulling it off, everyone, every, everyone was amazing in it, you know. It was great fun at the end of the day. I, I did find it stressful because I was the straight guy throughout the whole thing. I remember Carl's dad said to him, like, oh, yeah, it was great. Who was the actor guy? You know, I I, I couldn't muck around like everyone else. Um, so that's I think that's maybe where my frustrations came from and that I had to actually have a kind of emotional journey, uh, whereas everyone else could just tit about. Um, but, yeah, it was... Again, one of the highlights of me doing comedy, and it was just great. It was brilliant. Incredibly proud of it. And do you find that you get heckled a lot? Um, no, no, no. But I take a heckle as somebody rolling their eyes, somebody looking at their watch, somebody looking at the floor. To me, that's a heckle. I get really annoyed at it. Am I, am I boring you? I will stop the show and ask if someone's... Are you okay? Oh, um... Yeah, I'm fine. Carry on. Pardon? Just carry on. What? I can't deal with that. I hate the idea that I'm boring people. So to me, that is what... Heckle's great. It means they're engaged. It means you've... Driven them to shout something. Um... I don't I don't get heckled that much. And also I think I've been going long enough now where I can I think I can deal with most heckles. I I'm not saying that I know I I don't have stuff learned. I don't have the I think you can always tell, you know, like you see you see a stand up and they answer a heckle with something that they've done for years. It's just the worst thing in the world. It's awful. You're just like, "Oh my god." And then you get the person who heckled that, like, fair enough, mate. Yeah, you got me. You got me, mate. You told me another one. It's just like, couldn't you tell that, that that's learnt? Just, you got to have a raw kind of, you know, you like it when someone answers a heckler with just a, just a kind of, like a hot, 
spit. I could just kind of specifically to you. I, I, I don't get heckled that much, no, no. And do you have a favourite type of venue that you prefer performing in? Um, whenever, uh, well, yeah, I like being on. I like being on the same. I don't like being on a stage. I know that sounds weird, but I don't like being elevated too high. Um, like there's a gig in Finsbury Park, which is a great gig, but it, it can go really well. But sometimes it, it, the stage is like. Honestly, it's about five foot, and yeah, it's like a for rock bands. It's for bands, basically. I I like being on the floor with them. Like, there's no elevation. Um. Because I, this might sound weird, but I do think that it takes you know. There's no, there's no that, there's no snap of laugh. You know, the the laugh gets to the stage. You repeat it down. You know, there's. I like being. You know, very small, very intimate. Like you know, the the Harrison and King's Cross. That's like, I think that's the best venue in in London. I just think that's that is what every venue should be like. Um, I've I've done I've done like the Soho Theatre and and places like that, and I I haven't done them enough. I don't think to to really feel like I I, I can own it or ah that's what I do here kind of thing. But um, yeah, I mean, f- from my experience, the best rooms have been. Obviously, you know, everyone says it, but it, 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 there's a reason why people say. It. You know, there's a reason why there's cliches. It got to be dark. It got to be s- small. It got to be intimate. Um, the focus has to be on you, lighting wise. Uh, you know, no distractions, low ceiling. You got to be trapped. Your only way out has to be what you're watching on stage you can't be distracted by anything you know if you go to it's not it's not a play, it's, it's not like a, it's not a music festival so i'm doing i'm doing latitude in a couple of weeks i can't i just really don't i'm just so it's a, people walking in and out people go to comedy to sober up and just uh, people lying ah oh, music festivals i i think comedy at festivals is just awful i think it's awful um, but I'm obviously getting paid to go there, so I can't wait. <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? I just you got to be intimate. You got to be dark, like good sex. And do you have a favourite type of audience? Uh, not really, because sometimes you can prejudge an audience, and then they're amazing, and you're like, well, you know, um. Just up for it. The, the audience that... Like, for example, my stuff at the moment. Sometimes audiences look at me like... Like like I don't know what I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like, well, what, what are you on about? I'm, I'm, on, I'm on stage. I've clearly thought this through. Sometimes that is not the case. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? An audience that trusts the performer. That's all you want. Just trust. You go on. Hello. They say. Hello. There's a trust. That's all you want from the audience. And then, you know, obviously that makes you get better. 
So then they trust you a bit more, and then you trust them. You go, well, if they like that, then I like this. You know? It's, it's, a, it's a dance. Imagine trying to dance with someone that's just there with their arms folded. And you're this kind of like, you're trying to get them going. They have to, they have to be there with you. Otherwise, you know, I'm not a god. I'm not like Jesus, who can, I can't do anything. I can't do, like, magic. I can't pull something out, you know. You know what I mean? I need them. If 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 you didn't need an audience, well, then you wouldn't, I'd just do it in my room, you know? they got to be there. they got to like you. So, yeah, the best audiences are the ones that, that trust you. And do you have any tips or advice for aspiring comedians? Uh, well, it's like I said earlier, advice is very hard. Uh, you know, you listen to it. It's funny, if it, whenever anyone's given you advice, you always go, yeah, 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 yeah. And if you actually think, your brain, do, nothing sinks in in your brain. Sometimes someone gives you directions. And they're like, okay, just turn left, yeah. And then walk all the way down. And when you get to the second left, you st- your brain, you stop listening after a while. You're like, right, I know, right. You've got to find it yourself. Um, the only advice I'd say is uh, surround yourself with good people. Like if you if you're gigging with someone and you find someone funny, then you know talk to them and hang out with them. Because like you talked about Hook there, that's with thirty people who are absolutely bonkers. They all should be locked up. But <laughs> you know like. They are they are the best people, and like that whole weirdos gang. It's just, it's just a group of people that find each other funny. Uh, you know, you're talking about dinner party with Pat. You know, I met him at uni. He's one of my best friends. All the the pleasant reserves, the, you're thrown together. You know, just that's the only thing I, I'd say is surround yourself with with good people. Like at uni, I met. You know, my mate John, he helps me with comedy. He's a playwright. He did stand-up. He put on this great 15-minute thing with another mate of mine uh, called Matt about Thatcher, and it got great reviews. And, you know, and I met these guys eight years ago, and we're all still doing it, you know? So surround yourself with good people. And you studied English and drama at the University of East Anglia. So do you have any tips or advice for students? Um, well, I guess it's it's exactly the same as, as what I'd say the um, comedians. Like everyone I met at uni who influenced... The best thing about surrounding yourself with good people is that they're working hard on their own thing. And so when you see them doing really well, you're like... That's brilliant. And then it makes you think about yourself. And you're like, well, where, where do you want to be? And you can get advice from them and you can talk to them. And people older than you, you can see them doing other things. You're like, well, that's what I want to do. And you know, you know what I mean? And it influences you. So, yeah, if you're at uni, try everything out as well. Just It's where you can... Like, I, I, I feel lucky that I went to uni doing... I'd done stand-up, like I said every term, every couple of months. 
and I tried out nonsense, and it was awful. You know, I've still got all my notebooks, and there's some... My God. If I die, bury them with me. There's some horrific stuff in there. Just really bad stuff. But then when I came to London, I kind of knew a little bit of, you know, what to do, what 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 not to do. So, you know, if you're at uni, because who listens to this? Do UCL people listen to this? I imagine, yeah. Well, hi, guys. I, uh, you don't know me, but one thing I would say is look at your friends. Are they Are they good people? Do they look after you? Are they going to be there for you after uni? Do you honestly think you're going to hang out with them? There's one, you say. Well, hey, you look after that guy, because they're the special people.